This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to another episode of the Worth Recovery Podcast. I'm Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December of December 2nd of 2012. And I am excited to be back with you with another episode amongst our craziness of COVID-19 pandemic. I want to talk a little bit about that today. Um, I'm a little, I'll just put it out there, a little nervous to kind of share some thoughts about it. But I really feel compelled to share the experiences that I've had just in the last, I don't know, week and a half um, in talking about the pandemic and also some of the issues and concerns that come up around different ideas here. So I want to start by just sharing a story. So a few weeks ago, I was in my class I uh, for school, right, I'm in school, and I was in class and my professor started with this beautiful uh, poem and it was set to some music and it was like a YouTube video and it's a poem that's gone pretty viral really quickly. It was written just on March 20th um, by a woman named Kitty O'Mara. She is a teacher uh, and lives here in the United States. Uh, but this is this is the poem. And it was set to this beautiful music and beach scenes and different things. And it says, And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still. And listening more deeply, some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently, and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorance, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. By Kitty O'Mara. And... I I watched this video and it was beautiful and some people you could tell were kind of visibly moved by the scenes and the different things and in my heart I was I was just outraged. I mean there's no other way to say it. I could tell like I just my heart started beating really quickly. I was having this kind of fight or flight adrenaline response and and I was angry. I was angry. And the, our professor was like, oh, isn't that so beautiful? And these things, and you know, you need to take care of yourself and, and focus really on your learning and these things during this pandemic. And, and then she asked, you know, would, would anybody like to share their thoughts? And I couldn't help myself because I just sometimes can't help myself in those situations. And I, I just said, I, I think it's beautiful. And I think that the concept is very ideal and would be an amazing 
beautiful transformation for so many people and in so many different ways. And I hope that we recognize that this is a very privileged perspective. This is a very privileged perspective for what's going on, that people can just stay home, that people can just read books and rest and exercise and make art and play games, that that's what people can do in this sort of situation. I think that's a very privileged perspective. Um, I shared also just some of the uh, things that I had heard, some of the people I know who have lost jobs and different things. And and then I, I just said, I, I think it's beautiful. And I myself have made some goals and recognized that I am in one of those privileged positions during this crisis, this world pandemic and this world crisis. But I also, and I also think it's really important that we understand that there are people suffering in this world greatly because of what's going on. And my professor just, just said, okay, does someone else other than Amy want to share their perspective? And I felt very dismissed uh, with what was going on. And it just made my heart beat all the faster that we're not understanding or recognizing some of the issues and concerns and some of the things that people are living through in this pandemic. So I just wanted to share with you today uh, some of the stories that I know of, some of the things that I have heard, um, some firsthand, most firsthand. There's a few that are, you know, friends of a friend, but my firsthand knowledge of some of those experiences. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but just just to make sure that we really understand uh, what is going on. One of the things that really bothered me that particular day was I had just gotten off the phone with my brother right before class. And he was really emotional and just telling me that that morning before work. So he's he's a he's a frontline worker. He's in emergency medical services. And that morning before work, he said it was before 8 a.m. He was standing in line at the Maverick, which it's a combined grocery store and like little convenience store. And he was there getting a drink um, before eight o'clock. And the man in front of him uh, was holding, you know, a, a case of beer and had two young children. My brother estimated that they were probably five and seven. Uh, they both had two different candy bars and a big Gatorade in their hands. And he just, he said, I walked out of there and I got in my car and I just thought, I, I'm going to be at his house today. Like I'm going to be called to his house today because he's just chalked these kids full of sugar and he's drinking and what's going to happen. And he was really sad and really upset because he, he knew this man It's a small community and he knew this man and knew that the situation was that he was out of work and his wife was trying to support their family and make things happen. And now the kids were home all day and they weren't able to go to school because the schools had been closed. And he was just really concerned about this man's depression and the issues going on there. I had a coaching call that same day with a woman um, who was just sobbing on the phone with me about how her community, she has a um, an older son, a teenage son, who's much taller and much bigger than she is. And 
And so even though she was trying to get him to stay home and trying to get him to do his homework and engage in things like that, he had gone out skateboarding and he didn't have a mask and he wasn't necessarily abiding by all the rules. And there were some of her neighbors that took a picture of him and posted it on Facebook and basically publicly shamed her for not being able to control her child. And she's like, I don't know what they want me to do. Do they want me to lock him up? Like if I, if I lock him up or I hold him down or I do something like that, I, I would be, you know, charged with child abuse. And so she was just really devastated trying to figure out what am I, what am I going to do here? How am I going to get him to engage in schoolwork? How am I going to get him to obey these rules and stay and do these things? And now she felt like she had zero support from her community or from those people around her. I talked to another woman a few days after that who had been fired from her job. Now that her children had to stay home, she had to, and she had younger children. She didn't have daycare options. She had to take care of her children and she wasn't able to keep pace with what needed to happen at work. And so after about four or five days of that, her boss in, in frustration, like wrote her up every single day that she couldn't get things done or that she wasn't staying pace or that she didn't log into a meeting, just wrote her up. And within a week she had four, um, tickets. She called them tickets in her file and, and they, they fired her because she couldn't keep pace while she was trying to take care of her children at home. Those are just some of the many stories that, and those are just a few of many, many stories that I know about people who have lost jobs. Uh, I, a friend shared one with me where a friend of hers, she has always worked from home and they have two kind of, um, early adolescents, a, a 10 and a, I think a 13 year old. And she has always worked from home. And now that her husband has to work from home, he has kind of sequestered himself in her office, taken over her space because his job is, is he's basically the breadwinner and, and does a lot of, brings him in most of the income. And so she has been resigned now to work at the kitchen table along with her kids. So she's trying to, you know, work from home like she always has and take all these meetings and calls and try to have some privacy while she's trying to get the kids to engage in work. And she just was sobbing on the phone. I, I don't, I don't have any time. I don't have any free time. I don't have any extra time. I, I don't know how I'm supposed to even keep up. Um, my, she had employees that reported to her and her employees were getting frustrated with her and her lack of availability. Um, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. There's so much going on. And so while this poem is beautiful and idyllic, I think it can be very dismissive of those people who are not living in that privileged world. After that night, after I shared my, my thoughts about privilege, another, uh, another student in class said that she had spent the entire weekend before at a meditation retreat and that she believed that this time was really that the earth's vibration was going to raise as we all meditated and everybody in the world was going to be better and in better situations. And she felt that everyone in the world, no matter what was going on in their life, was in a better situation right now because the earth's vibration was raising 
than they were before. And I don't know, I, I do some meditation. I'm not a meditation guru by any means. Um, and so I don't, I don't want to just be dismissive of her thoughts and, and the ability to spend the entire weekend at a meditation retreat is a privileged opportunity. That's not something that everybody has, not somebody, not something that everyone can pay for or dedicate their time or, you know, have childcare for their children or leave their partner or anything like that. The ability to spend that much time at a meditation retreat is a privilege. I understand that I am also in one of those privileged situations. Um, I kept my job. I moved from teaching in person to teaching online. In fact, I've actually had more work than I did before. I don't have to fight with anybody over computer time, internet speed, food, space, anything like that. I'm able to provide for all of those needs. And even myself, I those first two weeks that we were in this pandemic, I was like, I got this. I totally got this. Like, I... I'm good in a crisis. I've always been good in a crisis. I am the one that you want on your side in a crisis. <laughs> that is me. And those first two weeks, I, I was making lists and I was getting things done and I was feeling super productive. And I knew that I wanted to get so much done so that when we came out on the other side, I could hit the ground running and not play catch up. And I sat in that space for a couple weeks personally until I started to really spend more time talking to people and understanding what was going on and the devastation that was starting to happen. And by the end of week three, I was a hot mess. Um, I don't even know if I'd call it a hot mess. I was just a mess. I was a total mess. I was crying every day for hours all day long. I was binging TV. I was sleeping all the time, all the time. I was incredibly lonely. Um, I was definitely depressed. I was starting to feel afraid and scared about the safety of my family. I have lots of family members that work on the front lines of healthcare. Um, I have some that are immunocompromised. And so I just started to feel that like anxiety and that fear about what is going to happen. And I started to get scared and I started to really start grieving. And just feeling that anxiety of what is going to happen next. And I knew I couldn't stay there for very long. Because that's not a good place for me to be. That's the place where my addiction thrives. My addiction thrives in chaos. In loneliness. In fear. In darkness. Um, that's where my addiction thrives. It wants me to reach out in negative ways. It wants me to numb the feelings away. It wants me to figure out a quick fix. It wants some relief of the anxiety that I'm feeling. It wants a variety of things. And so I know that that is not a good place for me to be. And so I had to do some serious work to dig myself out of that hole. And I want to share with you just a few of the things that I did to help myself and remind myself of. I Last time I shared with you kind of that moment of free fall. That was a, a big, big tool for me in getting myself out and realizing like, okay, I'm in a free fall. This is a free fall moment. And what am I going to do about that? And in that process of putting that list together and really looking at what my life is, there are some things that I 
say to myself to remind myself and pull myself out of those moments. So I just wanted to share that with you today. Some of those things that I remind myself of and tell myself to pull myself out of those moments of chaos, those moments of crisis, those moments of fear, those moments when I can feel that my addiction is wanting to take the driver's seat. So the first thing I always remind myself of is what's called Maslow's Motivational Hierarchy of Needs. So Maslow was a, um, a psychotherapist in the, in, I think it was about like 1940-ish that he developed this, motiv- it's called the Motivational Theory of Psychology, meaning that it's a theory about what motivates people to do certain things and what motivates people to search in certain ways, to behave in certain ways, to do things. And he built what he calls the um, hierarchy of needs. It has since been put in kind of a triangle format, but that wasn't originally how it was, but you might've seen it. I saw it actually, the way I remembered it was I saw it on the internet and someone had had written like below the, the so the, the idea here is it's kind of a triangle or a pyramid and the most basic needs are at the bottom. And we're going to go through some of those in a second. And as if those basic needs, those basic needs drive your motivation and drive your behavior until they're being starting to be met. Um, they don't have to be met 100%. It's not an all or nothing thing. But they have to start, you have to start to feel like they're being met or like I'm going to be able to meet these needs before you can start to move up and look at the next level. And so that's kind of how the drawing is. And if you Google it, I'll, I'm going to include it in the show notes as well if you want to look at a picture of it. But if you Google it as well, you'll come up with, you know, the, what it looks like, the triangle and the, the pyramid and things. But I had seen it in a meme on um, social media. I think it was Instagram or something. And someone had dri- drawn in the bottom underneath the most basic needs. Someone had drawn toilet paper. <laughs> put another level at the bottom and put toilet paper during the toilet paper famine or the toilet paper, the panic buying that went on. Someone had put that on the bottom and it was funny and I laughed and then I remembered, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. There are different need levels and those different need levels are going to drive our behavior. So at the bottom, the most most basic needs Maslow tells us are what he calls physiological needs, or sometimes they're called physical needs. They're air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, and sex, like the ability to reproduce. Those are kind of our basic physiological needs. Those drive us um, until they we feel like they're being met or they're going to be met or we're in the process of getting those needs, needs met. And then once those are met, we can move up to the next level, which is what we call safety needs. This is personal security, employment, resources, health, um, property. It's about feeling secure, um, both in your, just with your personal being. Um, Sometimes that can be your physical body. You know, do I feel secure in my own body? Uh, For those that like may have lost some 
health issues or have some health issues or lost some physical mobility, this is kind of, again, a, a need that we have to go through and resolve within ourselves before we can move up to that next level. So safety needs. So physiological needs on the bottom, then safety needs. The next level of needs is love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection. That's kind of that next level. And then the fourth level that he has is esteem. Um, respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, freedom. So those types of needs are all the way up at number four, right? They're not, they're not physiological safety or love and belonging needs, they're esteem needs. And then the top of his pyramid is self-actualization or the desire to become the most that one can be. These needs drive our behavior and at first, the first few weeks, we might have felt like, oh, I'm okay. I, I did. I was like, I'm secure. Like, I, I'm not, you know, I've got a place to sleep. I've got food. I'm not worried about things. And so I was focusing those first few weeks on like esteem and self-actualization and, and feeling really good about that because my basic needs were met. And then as things dra uh, drug on, and as I realized this was going to be a much longer thing than originally I had maybe thought or planned on or at least mentally grasped. Some of those basic or bottom needs started to fall in again. Safety needs, right? Like employment needs, resources, health, what's going to happen. And those some of those basic needs started to kind of undermine my ability to focus on the other the other needs that I had. And that was fine, but I just wasn't recognizing it. I wasn't noticing what was driving my behavior and recognizing that I'm not in those stages anymore. And that's okay. I can focus on whatever I need to focus on. I think that reminder for me really helped me to recognize that throughout this whole process of quarantine and COVID and whatever brings in the next six months so or more, it's okay to be wherever you're at. It's okay to have whatever needs you have that are driving your behavior. That was number two that I had to really recognize is that everyone responds differently and that you might be focusing on children and schoolwork. You might be focusing on employment. You might be focusing on family. You might be focusing on just pure survival. You might be focusing on how do I get food on the table for me, for my children. You might be focusing on, I'm going to miss a house payment next month and I'm, or I'm going to miss a car payment because my job is gone. And what am I going to do about that? And what does that mean for me? And if those basic needs, you know, are not being met, then this idea of staying home and reading books is, and healing yourself is is going to feel very out of reach and very dismissive because it is a little dismissive of wherever your needs are at. So after I kind of reminded myself of these different need bases, I had to remind myself that everyone has a different focus and that that focus is not about me and that that focus is totally awesome. Whatever your focus is, is where your focus should be. And again, that focus is not about me. So if you're focusing on meditation, then I need to be happy for you. If you're focusing on spending time with your family, that's awesome. And I'm so excited for you. I bet your kids are loving that. If you're focusing on how I put food on my table, then okay, how can I support you in that? And how can I help with that situation? I, we all live to reckon, need, oh, 
We need to recognize that those things are not about me. It's not about my choices. It's about your choices. And we need to not publicly shame someone and take a picture of some kid who's driving down the street on their skateboard and put it on Facebook for everyone to shame somebody else. And if someone's not doing what you want them to do or not doing what they what you think they should be doing, that's not about you. You have no idea what's going on in their home. They might be the dad who before 8 o'clock a.m. had two kids all sugared up on candy and Gatorade and was starting to drink already because of his depression. You don't, you don't know what's going on. And so we need to be kind. If anything, right now, we need to be kind. The third thing I have to remind myself is that grief in this situation is incredibly real. And it looks differently for every single person. We're grieving as a whole world right now. We're grieving for the things that we've lost. Relationships, um, freedoms, uh, abilities to travel, maybe some dreams. This might be a setback for you financially that is going to impact your life for decades. This might be something that is going to change your life and provide a bigger, more secure income. Either way, no matter what's going on, you're grieving. I, I love the grief recovery handbook. I think I've talked about that before, but one of the things they talk about when they make your grief timeline is they even talk about how moving can be a grieving process because we're so set on the ways that we drive things and the way things look, the way that streets that we drive on, places that we go. You're, you're grieving that. If you're not leaving your house, you're grieving not seeing outside. You might be grieving the relationships of the people, the losses that you've had, and they might not be permanent losses. They might just be temporary losses, and it's still okay to grieve those. And grief, everybody responds differently to grief. And we go through stages, and you might be angry or upset. You might be super sad. You might cry. I mean, whatever it is, it's okay. We just need to recognize that everybody goes through grief stages and that looks different. You might be binge watching TV and that's okay. That's your grief cycle. That's okay. And the fourth and final thought I kind of want to leave with you. So first, recognize your needs, right? Where are you on Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Recognize what that is and what's driving your behavior and work to resolve those needs. Second, remember that everybody focuses on something differently and everybody's focus is awesome. Whatever their focus is, it's awesome. And you need to be help. We, we, not you, we, I, I need to be helpful and supportive of that. Third, grief is real and it looks differently for everybody and that's okay. And the fourth and final one is it's all about pacing. Right now, it's all about pacing. You've heard or seen, I'm sure, people that train for marathons, for races, for all sorts of things. And they talk a lot about pacing. If I start out too fast, if I get too fast too quickly, I'm going to burn out. If I go too slow, I'm going to get discouraged because the pace is not enough to get me moving somewhere or doing things. It's all about pacing. And right now, especially right now with where we're at with the pandemic and starting to, in some areas, reopen and starting to look at what's going to happen next. We're, we're all grasping at information for, for information that none of us have. 
we want information and we want things, we want certainty, and we don't really have that. And, and so we're just kind of filling in the information and that's dangerous. And so what you need to recognize for you is that it's all about pacing. We don't know how long this is going to last. If we go too fast, if you go too fast, you're going to burn out. If you go too slow, you're going to get discouraged. So you've got to find where that comfort zone is for you and what's right just on the barely on the other side for you and work right there in that area. For me, I've started like, I get a lot of ideas and thoughts about, oh, I could be doing this or I want to be doing that or this or that. And I've started just making a list. And my goal is to get two things done on the list a week, two things a week. If I can get two things a week done on that list, that's my current pace. And maybe next week it'll be three, but this week it's two and that's okay. That's totally great. So I wanted to share those ideas and thoughts with you because as I've opened up my calendar to spend more time and connect with you, it's been so healing for me to listen to you and your stories and your experiences and to figure out where you're at. And it's also just sad to listen to some of your experiences and stories and what's going on for you and, and where you're at, whether that's losing jobs or still battling heavily with addiction or whatever's going on for you. And I just want you to know that wherever you are at, is okay right now. It's okay. It doesn't mean it's okay to stay there, but it's okay. Until we accept where we're at and what's going on, we can't really move forward. So I wanted you to know that today. Wherever you're at is okay. Look at your pacing. Look at your needs. Look at what's driving what you're doing and, and work to make a change at your pace and work to focus on what you need to focus on. And that I give you 100% permission to let go of whatever other people say or think or this idealistic view that maybe you can spend the next, you know, four, five, six weeks, months, I don't know, alone healing yourself, which would be awesome. And I, I'm confident that there are some people doing that. And if that's not you, that's okay too. And that doesn't mean that you're going to come out of this without some kind of learning or some kind of change or or a, a, a worse person it doesn't mean that it just means that you've got a different focus and that's a hundred percent okay so I wanted to share that with you today I hope that that's helpful I hope that you're able to look at where you're at accept where you're at and to go and to move forward I still I'm keeping those extra spots open on my calendar at least through the end of May it's been a privilege and an honor to connect with so many of you on the phone um, or Zoom and just talk about where you're at and what's going on. I would love to continue to do that. So if you want to get on my website, just go to worthrecovery.com, go to the uh, coaching area, individual coaching, and at the bottom there's a calendar and you can just pick a time and sign up. You don't have to be interested in coaching. I don't even care. If you just want to talk, that's fine. I'm here to talk to you. So I'd love to be able to do that. A few things also, just reminders of things going on here. We've got the Worth Circle launching on May 5th, May 4th, May 4th. And I'm super excited about that. Just a great place for us to be able to meet and spend more time together. You can find out information about that on the website as well. Um, I want you to remember that no matter what is going on in your life today, no matter how far down you might think you are, no matter if you're just fighting for survival, 
that you are 100% worth recovery. 100%. If you don't believe that, you can just trust me until you do. Because you are. Remember that I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.